0: Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and today our guest is Professor Ben Kiernan. Our topic is genocide. Professor Kiernan is the A. Whitney Griswold Professor of History at Yale University and the founding director of Yale's Genocide Studies Program. For more than 30 years, he has studied and written about genocide and crimes against humanity. His recent book, Blood and Soil, A World History of Genocide and extermination from Sparta to Darfur is the first global history of genocide, and in it, Professor Kiernan examines outbreaks of mass violence from the classical era to the present.
1: Welcome, Professor Kiernan. Thanks, Marilyn.
0: Let's begin by talking about the word genocide. It's a relatively recent term. How would you define it?
1: Well, it was coined only during World War II by Raphael Lemkin, Mm -hmm. who was a Polish-Jewish jurist who'd spoken out against the Armenian Genocide in World War One and then wrote a book during World War Two about the Nazi occupation and the crimes they were committing and in that book he coined the term genocide in 1943 and he was the major proponent of the Genocide Convention which was adopted by the UN in 1948 and came into force in 1950 so it was his conception of genocide that became the definition under international law. And the definition in the Convention of 1948 says that genocide is acts committed with the intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial or religious group as such. And these acts include killing members of the group and other forms of uh, mass violence. And uh, that was pretty much his definition, uh, except that he probably would have preferred political groups as well as ethnic and religious and national groups to be covered by the Genocide Convention, although they are covered by crimes against humanity, the particular crime of extermination Mm -hmm. when it's systematically carried out uh, covers the mass murder of political groups. He probably would have also wanted cultural destruction to be included in the convention, but that was not either. However, other people do define genocide in different ways, sociologically. Many people think that mass murder of political groups is pretty much the same as of ethnic or religious groups. Uh, And so there are disagreements in the scholarly literature. But I'm fairly convinced that the legal definition is usable and functional and that uh, other crimes, which are not included as genocide, Uh, for instance, included as extermination under crimes against humanity.
0: Okay, clearly genocide is a difficult topic, yet you've devoted uh, the majority of your career to researching it and writing about it. How did you come to study it?
1: Well, I was educated in Australia, and I was aware of some of the history of what had happened to Aboriginal groups during the colonial conquest of Australia in the 19th century. But my first uh, overseas uh, experience was actually in East Timor near to Australia, uh, now an independent country in Southeast Asia, but then a Portuguese colony, later to be invaded by Indonesia in 1975. And uh, I studied Southeast Asian history in Australia and also became very interested in what was happening in Vietnam during the war there and in Cambodia. And after the war in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge regime of Pol Pot took power. And uh, at the same time as the Indonesians were invading and uh, carrying out extermination massacres in East Timor, the uh, Khmer Rouge regime was doing something on a larger scale, although proportionately uh, similar, uh, in Cambodia. And uh, as a result of doing my PhD dissertation on the Khmer Rouge history, I uh, then went on to write another study of what they did after they took power Mm -hmm. uh, under the Pol Pot regime.
0: Okay, Um, over the course of history, what have you found to be the motivators for genocide and have they changed over time?
1: Well, it's difficult to always know for sure what the specific motivations are. They're often hidden and they're usually multiple. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes a single motivation racial hatred stands out. For instance in the Holocaust where it's arguable that uh, the motivation behind Hitler's mass murder of Jews really was ethnic hatred. Although the word motive is not mentioned in the genocide convention and it covers cases where genocide could be a means rather than a motive. And so for instance uh, driving a population away could be the motive and committing genocide against part of a group uh, would be a means of conquering a territory or carrying out ethnic cleansing Uh, or it could be for the motive of uh, seizing their wealth Uh, genocide can be a means as well as a motive Uh, there are other factors that can be examined as well Uh, not just the uh, determining feature of singling out ethnic or religious groups for mass killing uh, but also other features that sometimes accompany or often accompany or are associated with genocide and over the centuries uh, many of these have recurred again and again not just racial or religious hatred but also uh, territorial expansionism is something that usually happens alongside genocide uh, of course it brings uh, warfare to the front uh, for consideration of when genocide is really happening uh, and of course war often gives genocidists a cover or an excuse to carry out genocide against an ethnic group and that's usually in the context of territorial expansionism another couple of ideological features in the mindset of perpetrators that recur pretty much on and on through the centuries are a fetish with antiquity a concept of a pristine, ancient uh, people, usually farmers, who have been somehow contaminated or disturbed by foreign settlers or uh, invading uh, pastoralists, and uh, in the case of uh, the Nazis or I would say the Hutu chauvinist regime which committed the genocide in Rwanda uh, or in Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge there is this concept of an ancient past where the ethnic uh, population of Germans or Hutus or Khmer uh, were living in pristine calm but have since become uh, invaded by minorities whether it be Jews or Tutsis or Vietnamese or other minorities in Cambodia and those minorities become targets for the exterminatory ideology and practice of the regime. So that concept of an ancient model uh, and also of the agrarian uh, paradise in some cases that uh, was supposedly in existence in the past is also an imaginative feature of the ideology of genocidists. They tend to target city populations rather than farmers, although farmers can also be uh, caught up in uh, the violence because the perpetrators are usually urban themselves, but they romanticise the rural landscape and uh, rural occupations and the virtues, particularly as soldiers, of farmers. Uh, And of course they sometimes target not just city populations but other non-farming rural populations including cattle raisers or other pastoralists or hunter gatherers whether it be the Tutsi pastoralists in Rwanda or uh, Aboriginal groups in North America and Australia uh, who are considered to be uh, inadequate farmers of the land and that feature often does accompany genocidal ideology as well.
0: Okay, so what are some of the key factors that you've found to be precursors to genocide, and are you seeing any of these today?
1: Well, territorial expansionism, (coughs) uh, the uh, envisaging of uh, extending territory, whether it is uh, conquering, again, territory that has been long lost to a neighboring country in the past, uh, the, the vision of extending territorial power and what should be done with the land, is is an important precursor that can be seen sometimes in the advanced propaganda of genocidal regimes uh, as well as this concept of the past that needs to be restored. Lost territory goes along with that. Uh, And so uh, militaristic states also can be considered precursors of genocide. I would say that ancient Sparta, which was described by uh, some historians as a workshop of war, Uh, was a precursor to later genocidal regimes in classical antiquity.
0: Okay, um, let's talk specifically about two regions of the world, Darfur and the Congo, and the genocide and mass killings that are taking place there. Um, What do you think it will take to have it stop?
1: Well, I think Darfur has Received much less attention than it deserves mm-hmm. as an ongoing case of genocide, which could be uh, restrained, at least if not stopped. Uh, since 2003, uh, the uh, catastrophe there has received a good deal of attention, but uh, the actual implementation of measures to stop the genocide or to punish the perpetrators have been uh, insufficiently taken up. I, I believe that uh, even short of Military intervention by Western armies, uh, there are a number of steps that could be taken, including the imposition of no fly zones, which would prevent the Sudanese government and the Janjaweed militias from uh, getting supplies to the points where they are attacking the civilian African populations of Darfur. Also, the African Union Peacekeeping Force, which is currently deploying there. Uh, needs more support in, uh, in helping it deploy and to deploy under conditions of security and no-fly zones, I think, would help there as well. Uh, and it is possible for these measures to be implemented uh, without even military uh, ground troop intervention.
0: Okay, so you think there is hope then?
1: I think there is hope. Uh, there needs to be a priority given to stopping the genocide in Darfur and to bringing the perpetrators uh, to justice. And two of them have currently been indicted by the International Criminal Court. And uh, there needs to be more pressure on the Sudanese government, uh, perhaps by sanctions, not necessarily by military force, but uh, sanctions could be imposed uh, to the point where uh, including no-fly zones, that the Sudanese government hands over those two indicted perpetrators for trial in the International Criminal Court.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for sharing some of your research with us today.
1: Thank you, Marilyn.
0: For more information about Professor Kiernan, his research, and of course his newest book, Blood and Soil, please visit our website at www.yale.edu backslash Report. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode of The Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty McMillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale. Thank you very much.